Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm sure you're all familiar with the familiar children's song, uh, I Just Want to Be a Sheep, right? We love to sing that song. I'm going to save you. I'm not going to sing it for you here today, so you're welcome. Um, but when I do uh, sing it with the early childhood center children, one of, the one of their favorite verses to sing in that song is, I don't want to be a Sadducee. And they'll say, a Sadducee? I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're so sad, you see. Now, the reason we say that Sadducees are sad isn't just because it has sad in the name. It's because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was a resurrection from the dead. Now, we probably don't have too many Sadducees in our weekly worship services today. People who follow the law but don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But I do imagine we have quite a few practical Sadducees. People who say they believe in the resurrection but disconnect the life of the world to come from the life of the world right now. Remove the promise of the bodily resurrection from the teaching of the church, and for these practical Sadducees, nothing would change in the practice of their faith. They would pray the same, they would hope the same, they would think the same, expect the same, and believe the same. They don't deny the resurrection the way some of Paul's audience did, but for all practical purposes, the resurrection of the body doesn't matter to the way they live right now. Maybe you know people like this who at times have acted like that. Maybe you at times have acted like that. We must all admit that at times we act like a practical Sadducee. We, we do it sometimes in the way we comfort people when a loved one dies and we comfort them with rest and reunion, but we forget to talk about the resurrection. Or we live our lives not caring about the fact that these bodies will be raised imperishable. Or we think that this life is all there is. We can even hear it in, in funeral sermons that, that are devoid of the promise that the body in front of them all in the casket will one day rise to new and eternal life. Both preachers and hearers are susceptible to being practical Sadducees. And the danger in that, the problem in that, is that it, it uh, removes the proclamation and the, the confidence in the bodily resurrection from the life of the church. But to help with that comes Paul. Paul seems to think that the bodily resurrection of the dead is a pretty big deal, right? He says it in our text, he delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. If your body is not going to be raised, then Jesus was not raised either. And Paul says that's game over then. While we might say that without the it is finished of Good Friday, you'd be stuck in your sins, Paul pushes the foundation of our faith forward a couple days. He says, without the he is risen just as he said of Easter, our faith is empty and our sin remains. And to drive that 
point home, Paul uses in our text a combination of logic and imagery. And he starts off with this string of if-then statements. Basically saying, if physical corpses are not raised, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, then your faith is worthless. And if faith is worthless, then you're stuck in your sins. And the dead people who you love are just dead. If you are stuck in your sins and the dead people you love are just dead, then this religion is a lie. Then we have no hope. Then as followers of Jesus, we are pitiful, disillusioned suckers. If you don't have the actual resurrection of the body, Paul says, then you don't have Jesus. Gregory Lockwood, in his commentary, notes that the word that Paul uses 13 times here, necros, is referring to an actual dead body, to a corpse, rather than just dead people in general. Paul has the resurrection of the corpse of Jesus specifically in mind here in our section of 1 Corinthians 15. Again, if you don't have the actual resurrection of the body, Paul says, you don't have Jesus. I always remember, it was probably about six years ago now, driving with my daughter. We went past Union Hill, and in, the, in their cemetery, they were getting ready uh, for a funeral that day. And my daughter looks out the window, and she says, Dad, are they going to plant somebody? <laughs> and it was funny, but she didn't realize at the time how theologically accurate she really was. Because in a very similar way as a seed is planted and sprouts up to new life, the same is true for our physical bodies. We have the promise of the resurrection of the dead, and it starts with Christ's resurrection. And so that's what Paul is arguing here in his if-then statements. And while this logical argument is certainly powerful and persuasive, Paul also includes a wonderful image to shape the reasoning and imagination of his hearers. Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. While the image, uh, the image there of first fruits carries several important connotations, which are sometimes easy for us to miss. And so we're going to dive in here to what is meant by first fruits. First of all, First fruits are the first evidence of more to come. They're like the first blossoms of the spring. So you, you got that, that first blossom surrounded by buds almost ready to pop. That blossom is the first fruits of evidence that more is coming. First fruits are also part of the whole that is still coming. Like the first installment of an inheritance payment or a solo that begins a symphony. The first fruits come first, but they belong to the rest that is coming after. And to experience the first fruits is to already experience what the whole harvest will be like. You think about it with apples, there's always that seems to be that first ripe apple that seems to win the race. All the other fruit is green, tinted with a little pink, but you find that one single dark red fruit. And when you taste it, you, you have that first crisp bite and the juice runs down your chin and the smell, the feel, the taste, the experience. It tells you what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. 
same with Christ. And also, uh, we realize that in the Old Testament, first fruits are a part of the prescribed offering to God. We see that in Leviticus chapter 23. It says that when the first grain was ripe, on the first day after the first Sabbath after Passover, God's Old Testament people would bring in the first of the harvest grain to God's house as an offering. They would do that to set aside the first fruits as holy to the Lord, acknowledging that God, that God is the one who, who, uh, who brought that harvest and through whom it came. But it's also a wonderful statement of trust. Hail, lightning, locusts, or a war could destroy the rest of that harvest in any minute. To bring in the first fruits is to express dependence on God for the rest of the harvest. Now, we may not think that you know, a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system is, is being talked about here uh, by Paul, but when you look at it closer and do the math, we see here the first day after the first Sabbath after Passover, that would be the Sunday of the resurrection. The day that Jesus rose from the dead was the, begin, was the day of first fruits offering. And so I, I have to imagine that, that Paul certainly had that in mind, even if not everyone in Corinth got that connection. That image of first fruits carries all these complex connotations. And Paul says Jesus is like that. Jesus is the first evidence of more to come. His corpse is the first permanent physical new creation resurrection in history. But it's not going to be the last. Jesus is the first installment, the opening solo of the new creation. His resurrected body is part of the new creation, even now, ahead of time. And if you want to know what the new creation is like, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and his living body, which eats and walks and talks, loves and shares with those that he loves. The new creation looks, feels, smells, tastes like Jesus. Jesus is that first fruits offering set aside as holy to God, even as we as God's people depend on God for the rest of the harvest still to come, our resurrection that is still to come. Christ has died, but that's not the end of the story. Christ is risen, but even this isn't the end of the story. Christ will come again, and your physical corpse will rise as a glorious new creation body, part of a wonderful eternal harvest. And in Christ, we already have the first fruits. Amen.